Amen. You guys can grab a seat. So like I mentioned before, man, we're humbled that you chose to come worship with us this morning. Uh, it's, it's great. We love having you guys back, specifically students. We've missed you. We're glad you're back. Um, and we're just excited to see what's going to come this year. So if you have your Bibles, let's open to 2 Corinthians is where we're going to land. Um, it'll be the main focal text for us this morning um, as we try to understand this, this one question, what is the church? Um, what is the church is what we're trying to answer. So how many of you have had a great first week, especially if you're new back in town? Uh, awkward, good, everyone having fun? New professors, you're meeting new friends? Anyone met new police officers yet? If so, you're in the right spot, man. We're good. Um, I was a freshman in college when I got my first, yes, I said first, uh, field sobriety and breathalyzer test. So I was able to call back to my mom and say, hey, mom, listen, um, you got to forgive me. I got a zero on a test. She's like, it's your first semester. You got a zero on a test. I'm like, yeah, it was a breathalyzer test. And so it, the whole paradigm shifted with that conversation, but uh, it was good. Now, I can tell you about the second one later. It was whatever. Um, I, got, I was innocent of that one too. Uh, but we're just, seriously, we're grateful that you're here. We're hoping that after this, you'll stick around for some pizza. We can just get to know each other. We can hang out um, because we really want to know your story. We want to know um, what led you here. Uh, we are confident that God brought you here for a purpose. Uh, no one in this room is here on accident. I mean, is that just kind of mind-blowing for a second? All the circumstances that led you to University of North Georgia, that led you here this morning, uh, all were for a divine purpose. That's just pretty, pretty cool to think about. And so this morning, as we start to understand what is the church, um, I'll just kind of lay our cards on the table real fast. Um, here's who we are, and I think we'll be on the screen behind us. Uh, I'm not going to try to chit-chat with you too long. I'll just cut to the chase. I'm that kind of guy. Uh, here's who we are. The Branch Church, we exist by God's glory, for God's glory. Very simply, right? By God's glory, for God's glory, to make disciples, equipping them to know, believe, and obey Jesus as a gospel-centered community living on mission. So over the last three weeks, we spent the last three weeks going through this, uh, who we are as a church, and this morning we're landing this series that we're just calling We Are the Church, and we're, we're spending the last uh, 30 minutes on this simple phrase, we are the branch church. We are the branch church. What, is, what does that even mean, that we are? Because uh, there's a couple thoughts that are probably going in our mind when we hear we are the branch church. It's, it's probably we go to a church, or, or this church right here is not like my home church. Uh, I think we're in a basketball gym right now. You are. Uh, that's, that's true. Um, the preacher is wearing blue jeans. Is that allowed? I don't know. We'll, we'll talk about it. Now, this, this is probably a different experience. Experience. We don't own this building. We rent this building. Um, what you're understanding as a church, maybe your paradigms are already starting to buckle. Um, one of my good friends is Dennis over at Dahlonega Baptist Church. And we were hanging out this week, and he told me about this experiment that really kind of blew my mind. They had five monkeys. Have you heard this, five monkeys in a cage? If you're a psychology major, you probably heard this. Uh, put five monkeys into a cage, and in the middle of the cage, they put a big ladder, 12-foot ladder with bananas up on top. Do monkeys love bananas? Sorry, I, I, let me, let me, you can talk here, it's okay. We can interact, it's fine, I'm not going to get offended. You can call me names too, uh, that, that's fine, we'll, we'll be friends. So, do monkeys like bananas? 
Okay, I guess so. So they put this ladder up, bananas up on top, and every time one of the monkeys would start climbing up the ladder to get a banana, they would get a cold water hose and spray the other four. So the one that was going to get a banana was like, I'm just getting a banana, but the other four would get sprayed. So another banana, another monkey would get hungry, go up to get bananas, they would spray the other four. And this theme kept going until as soon as one of the monkeys started climbing up, the other four monkeys would rip them down and beat them up. Like, we do not want to get wet, bro. Quit. Quit doing this. Even when the water stopped, so even when they quit spraying the monkeys with the cold water, anytime a monkey would climb up, they would pull them down, they'd start beating them up. So the experiment gets a little crazier. The next step was that they started to circulate the monkeys. So they'd put a new, they would take one of the monkeys out, put a new monkey in. Uh, monkey sees banana, starts climbing up, gets ripped down and beat up. He's like, I'll just get bananas, man. What's happening? So this theme would keep going. They circulated the bananas till all, or circulated the bananas, the monkeys, until all the monkeys in this cage had never been hit with cold water. But they would still rip the monkey down and beat him up. So if monkeys could talk, if you were to sit down and say, hey, monkey, why are you doing this? Why are you pulling this guy down and beating him up for a banana? You never got hit with cold water. What, why are you doing this? Their response would be, I don't know. That's just what we've always done. I don't know. That's what we've always done. And so for us growing up in church, I mean, just do me a favor. Raise your hand if you grew up in church. Okay, there's a, there's a nick inside of us that we just know that ch- this is the church because this is what we've always done. This is, this is what we grew up in. This is what we understand. We've always done it this way. So this is what the church must be. Uh, one of my favorite theologians is a girl named Moana. Y'all heard Moana? Okay. I love Moana, mainly because I've got four kids and we watch it on repeat all the time. But here's what I love about Moana. She didn't accept the status quo. Am I really quoting Moana in a sermon? Jeez, I need to get out more. Um, She did not accept the status quo, right? Her father told her, do not go beyond the reef. Do not do that. She's like, why? Tell me proof. Give me a reason why. And here's what I want to try to do this morning. I want to give you proof from the Bible why we are the church. I want to help us to understand that we are the church. We don't go to church. We don't go to a building. It's actually who we are because the ramifications of this, if we start to understand it and if we start to live it out, that we don't go to church, that we are the church, would be huge. The ramifications would be huge because here's here's probably what some of us have understood, uh, but we don't really quite understand. Uh, The local church is dying. Do you guys realize that? I mean, what's happening here is on a fast pass to destruction. I, mean, I was just talking to Dewey earlier. 261 churches close a month. 261 local churches. Here's some statistics that might drive you crazy. It does me at least. Two in 10 Americans under 30 believe attending a church is important or worthwhile. Only two out of 10 of people under 30, the millennial demographic, believe that coming to a church gathering is important. 35% of millennials have an anti-church stance. 35% of millennials have an anti-church stance. And here's, pro- I mean, here's where I'm putting most of my eggs. It's because we don't understand that we are the church. It doesn't change the way we live. We just go to church. See, the word church, even biblically, is a Greek word called ekklesia. Ekklesia is used over 140 times in the New Testament, okay? 
never once is it ever referred to as a building. Ecclesia literally means a, the group of called out ones. The group of called out ones. So what is the church? Who is the church? It's us. It's a group of called out ones. We are the church. And so what I want us to look at this morning, 2 Corinthians 5, is Paul addressing the church. And, and part of this letter is he's defending himself uh, because there's some rumors circulating. But I love what he's writing back to them. Because here's a theme. I just want you to start noticing it as we read together. Notice how many times Paul says, we or our. We or our. So we're going to read 2 Corinthians, picking it up, chapter 5, verse 11. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 11. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God, and I hope it is also known in your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you calls to boast about us, so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearances and not about what is in the heart. Verse 13. For if we are beside ourselves, it's for God. And if we are in our right mind, it's for you. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Verse 16. From now on, therefore, we regard no one to the flesh, even though we were once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. All of this is from God, who though Christ reconciled himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Would you pray with me? Now, Father, as we study your word this morning, God, as we sit here and have this read over us, Father, would you speak to our hearts? Jesus, I have no idea the situations and, and the circumstances of those sitting in this room, God, but you do. So would you speak? Would you do what only you can do this morning? God, it would be by the power of your Spirit not by the power of my words that we would change this morning. Father, thank you for what you're going to do. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So, so here's what I want to do. I just want to pick this passage apart. And wherever it stops to say we or our or us, I want to try to figure out what that means and how this applies to our life today. Um, because here, here's the, maybe here's a better way to say it. Uh, anyone like concerts? Anyone go to concerts? Okay. Uh, for, this is a really crazy analogy, but just stick with me for a second. Um, we go to a concert versus we are a concert. 
okay? So take the word church out of this for a second. We go to a concert versus we are a concert. Now here's, here's the difference. If we go to a concert, um, we get tickets, we find out where the concert is, how much it costs, uh, we get dressed up, we get ready to go, we get in a car with a group of friends, uh, we go to this certain event, we sit around and, and hopefully, I mean, if it's worth our time, we get entertained for a little while, right? We order some drinks, we get some food, but we're not really worried about cleaning up the venue after us because someone gets paid to do that. Um, we get in our car, we go home. Um, if, we're, if we liked it, we'll talk about it. We'll maybe see where this band's playing in another couple weeks and follow them there. If not, then we just talk bad about this band. We don't really, we write it off. If our friends ask about us, we can try to explain it, but we just can't really. That, that's going to a concert. Now, if, you, if I took the word concert out of that, how much does that sound like us going to church? So we, we get dressed, we go there. If we're not entertained, then we leave. We maybe go try another one. We don't really tell our friends about it, right? What if we are a concert, though? What if, what if we are the ones that entertain? What if we are the ones that, that preach a message? So we get our group together, we roll into a town, we meet a bunch of people, uh, we set up shop, and, and people come here, they come to hear the message, they come to see the band, they come to see the concert, and when, when we get too big, when the concert gets too big, we'll just go to the next town, we'll go to the next town. And people say, no, no, like, you, don't, you need to come see this, you need to come experience this, you need to come with me. So even in this analogy, we can start to see if, if we go to a concert, it's just something that we do to be entertained. But if we are the concert, if we are the entertainment, they were going to where people are and we're entertaining them. We're keeping a show alive, that we are the light. So which one are we? Do we go to church or we are the church? So but let's just kind of go to scripture. Verse 11 is where we'll open up. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. So the first thing, if we're talking about we are the church, we have to see what we are and what we aren't. So Paul opens this passage out by saying that, that knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. Now this word fear is kind of a weird, like, do we really, are we afraid of him? But, but here's what we understand, and, and you can go back to a couple weeks to listen to this in more in detail, but God's glory, God's glory, his infinite power, his manifest wisdom, his incredible beauty should create in us some kind of fear and reverence that we haven't felt. I mean, have you ever walked into a building or walked into a room and you just feel that presence in you like, all right, I need to straighten up a little bit. This is what it feels like to walk into the presence of God, the one that created everything, but he still loves us. The fear of the Lord, we start to persuade others. So if we are the church, we are persuaders, we want others to know this good news, we want others to know who God is. So what we aren't then is a bunch of spectators. Notice how he didn't say the pastor persuades others. He says we are, we persuade others to know the goodness and glory of Christ. There are no spectators in the church, we're all in this thing together. I think there's a myth that's happened within the church that um, let the pastor do it. Let the guys that get paid to do this, do this, and I'm just going to come attend when I want to. That's more of a, we go to church, that's not a real, we are the church. We are the ones that persuade. We want other people to know what we know. 
Now, I don't know, Pastor Rick, I don't really, I don't really talk about the things that I enjoy. Really? If you're around me for any certain amount of time, you're going to hear about my kids, you're going to hear about my wife. Uh, we're coming up this weekend is dove season and three weekends is deer season. You're going to know really quickly what I enjoy. Right? Sorry if I offended you. I'm a hunter. Is that okay? Genesis says we have dominion over animals. Yes, we do. When I can hit them. Anyways, so if you hang out with me, you're going to know. You're going to figure out who I enjoy, what I enjoy. I'm going to try to persuade you to come to the things that I enjoy. And why don't we do this with Christ? Because we're under this myth that we go to something. That we just, as long as we go once a week for an hour, hour and a half, depending on how long-winded the pastor is, we'll be good. But we don't go to church. We are the church. We cannot be spectators. Verse 12 opens up another we are. I, I love this. We are not committing ourselves to you again, but giving you calls to boast about us so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearances and not what's in the heart. We talk about we are the church. We are inside out people. We are inside out people. And here, here's what I mean. Everything about our culture is just look good on the outside. It doesn't matter your motivation. It doesn't matter why you're doing what you're doing. As long as you do it and you look pretty on the outside and you're doing it with a smile on your face, you go do it, man. So what this breeds is just uh, superficial nonsense. I mean, we've got girls walking around with identity crisis because they're constantly comparing themselves to all these magazines and all these photoshopped ladies because outside in is what matters. We've got these guys trying to be macho men overcompensating because they got to look strong. I got to look tough on the outside. And isn't that just exhausting? I mean, don't you just want to sit on the couch and eat Cheetos every now and then and not worry about what you look like? I mean, aren't you tired of trying to impress people constantly? I mean, what if this was the message of Christianity? Like, I may add, the message of every other world religion. That you clean yourself up on the outside enough and maybe you'll get into heaven. As long as you do enough good deeds, I don't care why you're doing it, as long as you do it, you, you might earn your way into heaven. That is not who the church is. That is not who we are as the church. That is not the message that we preach. The message that we preach is if we have faith in Jesus Christ, he changes us from the inside out. The Bible is very clear that what comes from the mouth overflows from the heart. It's not backwards. What comes from the mouth is the overflow of what's really inside of us. When we get squeezed, what really comes out is what we actually believe in our heart. And I can give on many and many and many examples. When my bank account runs low, when I have people mad at me, when I don't know where our next meal might be coming from, when I have true stress, where my mind always goes is, God, what did I do to deserve this? Anyone else? That when something goes wrong in my life, I immediately jump to, well, geez, like, I'm a pastor. Look at what I'm doing. Like, I'm trying to preach. I'm trying to do this. I'm trying to do this to earn your... Oh, wait. I'm trying to do all this to earn your love. And that's exhausting. So as a church, we are not outside in people. We're inside out. We ask God to change us on the inside, not on the outside. So this is why Paul goes on to say that we are not to judge people on the outside. 
that we don't regard men by the flesh anymore. That when we see people, we don't see who they are, we see who they could be and the potential when Christ changed their life. I mean, aren't you glad that Christ didn't give up on us? If Jesus can save me and make me a pastor of a church, holy cow, can he do this for anybody else? I mean, just small things. Did you know that I was in speech all the way up till fifth grade? And when I got to fifth grade, they said, we can't fix your mouth situation. You, you'll never talk right, so just, just good luck. I mean, it just kicked me out fifth grade. I was like, but can I just say whale woad, please? So if you see me, if I'm really tired, if I'm really like talking fast, it'll catch back up to me. And Moses had the same way, he had a speech impediment. God's not going to be worried about who we are on the outside. What he's worried about is who we are on the inside. That we are the church transformed from the inside out. So we don't care about the mess that you are on the outside because we know the heart on the inside and that's what matters. C.S. Lewis famously said, right, the souls and bodies, that we're not bodies with a soul, but we're souls with a body. So what we focus on is the inside, that we are the church transformed from the inside. Uh, Verse 17 is the next point we'll hit. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. He is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All of this is from God, who though Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that is, in Christ, God was reconciled to the world, to himself. Now, I just hope, because I don't, I don't know where we're walking in here this morning. And I cannot overstate this enough. But what drives us, why we persuade others, why we gather together, why we worship, why we sing, why we do missional communities, why we do everything, why we are the church can be found in this one simple message. This one simple scripture that Christ has reconciled, he has made us right in him. That Christ is not counting our sins against us. We'll get more into this in a minute, but here's, here's what I hope. I hope that we just don't glance over some of this stuff. That when we're talking about Christ has reconciled himself to the world, What that means is that Jesus Christ, for us, for the world around us, picked up his cross, went to Golgotha, um, had the cross dropped into the ground. He was crucified for our sins. So let this not just be words on a page for us. Let this not be something that we just flip through and go, oh yeah, that's pretty good news. Now what's for lunch? Pizza? That's all you guys can afford? Yes, that's all we can afford. We can't, we can't, church, just go over this message. This this is it. This is what we put our hope in. This is what we put our life in. This is everything that Christ has reconciled the world to himself by becoming sin for us. But I'm I'm jumping over myself. We'll get there. But please hear me. We cannot read this lackadaisically. You might have heard this message 10 million times, and I hope that 10 million and one is the time that you actually get it that we understand this, that we walk in our identity as the church. 
because verse 19 opens up a whole other message for us. Verse 19, that is in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against him, and entrusting us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, church, therefore, we are the ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Maybe another translation to say this, we're, we're begging you, we're pleading with you, be reconciled to God. That there is another way. Are you tired? Are you thirsty for something that you just can't get quenched from? Do you have questions that you just can't get answers to? Is there something in your, that you're looking for satisfaction everywhere and nothing has filled you up yet? We're begging you, we're imploring you, be reconciled to God. Here's who we are as a church. We are the ambassadors of God. We are the mouthpiece of God. Hear me, church, we are. You are, you are, you are, I am. This doesn't mean that just because I have a microphone on a stage, that's what it looks like to be an ambassador. I argue with people all the time because I guess I'm, I'm in ministry. People go, oh, I want to be a pastor. I'm like, please don't. P please don't. Be an incredible businessman or businesswoman. Finish your degree and be the best counselor that you can be for the sake of the gospel. Whatever, whatever you do, I mean, 1 Corinthians 10 is clear. Whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. What the world needs is more people who are ambassadors for Christ in their workplace, not within the walls of a building. But see, if we go to church, then the ambassador is the one that's standing on a stage in front of a bunch of people. But if we are the church, we're taking the message of the gospel everywhere. So don't, don't be the guy on the stage. Don't feel like, man, God's doing something in me. That must mean I need to go into ministry. No, that must mean that you're an ambassador of Christ wherever you go. We are the church. The church is not found in some building or some gym. I mean, do you know what pickleball is? I don't know what pickleball is. Do y'all know what pickleball is? I think it's like a game maybe some old-timers play. At 4 o'clock today, they're going to play pickleball right where you're sitting. Pickleball. There's nothing religious about pickleball. What a ridiculous name, though, pickleball. Can they not come up with a better pickle? Like, did they hit? Anyways, I digress. Pickleball. So if what we were were dependent on a building for us to get the message of Jesus Christ out, man, we, we've lost it. But if we understand our identity, that we are the church, so this afternoon when you go home, your dorm and your suite mates, you're an ambassador of Christ for them. When you sit in class, when you go to work tomorrow, that we are the ambassadors for Christ in that room, that we are the mouthpiece of Christ. And here's, here's what this looks like. That we're not bound to any building or place or sound system or lights or anything. If we get here next week and this place has been burnt to the ground, we're just going to do it in the parking lot. There's a principle that I love called the regulative principle that the Puritans talked about, that if we're dependent on anything else other than Scripture, then we're wrong. So if we're dependent on a sound system for us to have church, then we're sinning. 
If we're dependent on some fancy light show or a big screen or anything, a huge building, if we're dependent on that for the group of saints called the church to gather, then we've made an idol out of those things. What we are dependent on is the power of Christ that's found in Scripture. That's who we are. That's what we do. We're ambassadors no matter where we go. So, so here's what this means for us specifically. We're not bound to this building. Here, here's something crazy. I'm going to blow your mind. Uh, I'm going to be a little prophetic real quick. There's a church planter sitting in this room right now, and you don't even know it yet. What I mean by that is, there's a guy, a girl, a team of you. You might be sitting at the same table that in one, two, three, five years, you're going to take what you've learned here and you're going to go to another major college town in Georgia and you're going to do the same thing. And then you're going to train up people and they're going to go to another college town in Georgia and they're going to do the same thing. And we're not going to be dependent on a building or a space. We're going to be ambassadors of Christ wherever we go. We're going to go focusing on making disciples because if we make disciples, we'll always build the church. Because the church is what? A group of called out ones, a disciple. So we have this simple map that we've created that that outlines 18 major college towns in Georgia that we want to start sending you guys to. That we want to plant churches all across the state, all across Georgia at every major college town, major being uh, over 7,000 students on campus living, some kind of campus identity, whether it be Greek life, sports, something like that. And a few of you in this room are going to get it, and you're going to lock on, and you're going to be doing this at UGA or Valdosta or Georgia Southern or Middle Georgia or whatever college you choose to go to. And some of you, this is where it gets even crazier, some of you are going to transfer to that school to help a new gospel work because you are the church. You are ambassadors. That's who you are. That's who we are. We are not a building. We don't go to a thing. We are the church. So wherever we go, we take this message of reconciliation that you can be made right with God by faith. If you believe in him, he will not count your sins against you. So we're not limited to a building. We're not limited to a town. If we are the ambassadors of Christ, wherever we go, whatever we do, we're taking this message of hope to the world. So verse 21 is the pinnacle of this passage, what Paul is trying to remind us of. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. For our sake. Here, I've I've told this story before, but the majority of you guys haven't been here, so I didn't have to tell you that. You never heard the story. Here's a story you've never heard. I was at a pastor's conference one time. And there's about 16,000 pastors and church leaders all in this big convention center. We were worshiping and things were great. And I just started to look around and have this crazy sobering thought. How many of these people actually know Jesus? I mean, how many of these pastors, 
are just going through the motions and doing what they think they're supposed to do. And how many have actually know Jesus? Because a lot of us, if we're just honest, we know how to play the part. We know how to, I'm too blessed to be stressed. Hallelujah, what a great day he has made. We, we know to go, how to go through the motions. But do we really understand that for our sake, for us, God made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin. So he sent him here to walk this earth, to live a sinless life, to live out the Ten Commandments that no man can achieve. That he walked, that he was perfect, that he struggled with everything that we currently struggle with. Scripture would call Jesus, he's an empathetic high priest, that he knows, he's gone through it. We've had friends betray us, so has Jesus. We've lost loved ones, so has Jesus. We've struggled with sin, so has Jesus, but he did not give himself over to sin. He made him who knew no sin to be sin. One of the most gut-wrenching texts in Scripture is when Christ is on the cross and he screams out, God, why have you forsaken me? This is a feeling This is a truth that Jesus Christ has never experienced in his existence. That in this moment, he is separated from his Father. Why? Because he made him who knew no sin to be sin. In that moment, Christ took on all of our sins. Every one of them, past, present, and future. How many of our sins were future sins when Christ died on the cross? All of them. All of them. So these sins that we beat ourselves up for, Christ has already died for. So he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God as long as we work really hard for it and don't cuss and don't watch rated R movies and give some money to the church. Is that really in there? No. He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. This is an imputed righteousness is what theologians would call it. That he has just given it to it. You want to be made whole. You want to be made new. You want to be a new creation. Here it is. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to work for it. You don't have to do anything for it. All you have to do is believe in me, have faith in me that I am the Christ, that I am the Messiah, that I have come and that I have died for you. But that death could not hold me, that I had defeated death for your sake and for your sake and for my sake. And now you can become righteous. You become whole. You can be a new creation. We can. We are the church, and here's the greatest sin of our time, is that we do nothing with that. We do nothing with that. Thursday morning, a lady in the northwest, or northeast, life was changed because she made $774 million from winning the lottery. 
700, over 700 million. Well, they're going to tax a lot of that. Okay, sure. She's going to walk home with $300 million. That's a good day. Do you think she's talking about it? Do you think she's enjoying it? Do you think she's blessing people with that money? I've called her a couple times, hadn't got through. Uh, hey, there's a church down in uh, Dahlonega, Georgia. I could really use a jet. I live 15 minutes from town. A jet would just, helico- helicopter would be fine. Helicopter's fine. Right? No. The greatest sin of the church is us keeping our mouths shut. That we are the mouthpiece of Christ. And here's, here's what I don't want you to hear me say. I don't want you to hear me say, I need to talk more so that God would love me more. No, I'm saying look backwards. If there's not a change in your life, if there's not a feeling, if there's not a call in your life to tell people the good news that is Jesus Christ, if there's not an inclining in you to study Scripture, to read Scripture, to press into who Jesus is, if there's not a desire in you for things of new, not things of old, I just have to ask you a really hard question. Have you been freed from your old self? Do you actually know Jesus or do you know the church Ephesians 2 would say that we let the world that knows nothing about living tell us how to live. Are we just following the ways of the world? Are we trying to earn our way into heaven? Are we understanding our identity as a church? We are the group. We are the called out ones who are following Christ with everything that we have. And if we're not walking in that obedience, can we just be honest enough to ask the question Why? Can we not just be honest enough to say, Man, do, do I really know Jesus if I've never had any desires of things of him? Because here, here's the beauty, college students. Uh, your parents weren't in your dorm room this morning, were you? They weren't beating your door down, forcing you to go to church with them. This is your choice now. This is you now. Welcome to the world of grown-up land so now you get to ask yourself the hard questions am I really a follower of Jesus am I really a new creation or have I been going through the motion for the past 18 years because I think this is what I was supposed to do maybe you still feel like you have to earn your way into heaven but you have to do enough good things. That's what your church has taught you in the past. I, mean, I would love to walk through you through Scripture and show you that's just not true. We have faith in what Christ has done for us, and that's counted to us as righteousness. That's counted to us as righteousness. So one of the things we do here every single week, and I hope that you guys can participate with us, is we study Scripture together and then we take communion together. And, and what this means, what this does for our soul is it recalibrates us a little bit. Because we've all fallen short this week. I'm not, I'm not perfect. I might look perfect. I'm not. Come to my house. I really wanted to cuss last night watching that fight. Can I not be honest? Ford Mayweather, man, he's making me so mad. And it was late, and I was drinking coffee trying to stay awake, and it was just not a good situation. No, I'm just kidding. 
But seriously, I've fallen short tons this week. And I will continue to fall short. So what we do as a church is we come together and we take communion together to remember who we are. That it's nothing that we have to do to earn Christ's love. There's nothing we have to do to earn his favor. When we break the body which represent or break the bread which represents his body, we dip it into the juice which represents his blood. We remember how much we are loved and what he's done for us. That we have been made new creations, that we are the church, we are the reconciled ones, we are the mouthpiece of God wherever we go this week, that that's who we are. So if you're not yet a believer, man, I'm so glad that you're here, I really am. But I'd ask you that you just respectfully um, sit back and watch as we take communion as believers, because this means the world, this is all that we are in an expression. So just sit back and observe, and you want to talk to us, we'll love to talk to you about it. But it's us as believers, this is our first step in understanding our identity as the church, that we are the church, that we are the called out ones, the mouthpiece of God wherever we go this week. That we're not dependent on a building or a sound system or a screen or words or any of that. What we're dependent on is scripture and the power of the Christ on the cross. That's who we are. So I'm going to pray for us. And we've got two communion stations on either side that we can just um, meditate on, reflect on the goodness that is Christ, and take communion together, and then we'll continue in worship. So let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you that you do love us. Father, thank you that we don't have to earn that love. We don't have to do anything crazy. God, we don't have to follow all these steps to earn your love, God. All we have to do is have faith in you. God, we just have to believe that you are who you say you are. That you did what you said you did on the cross. And that paid our debt. Father, that our sin has created a gap between us and you, God. And by Christ on the cross, you have paid that debt. You have laid a cross across that gap for us to come to you, for us to be reconciled to you. So God, I pray for my new friends in this room. And Father, I pray that as, as we think and as we ponder and as we wrestle potentially for the first time, am I actually a Christian? Am I actually part of the church? Do I have faith to let go of my works and trust Jesus with my life? Do I really believe that Christ went to the cross for me? Do I really believe that when he said it is finished, that he meant it? There's nothing else I have to do. Nothing else I have to act like to earn my salvation. That all of my sin, past, present, and future have been paid for. And then I follow him. I delight in him. Do, do we believe that, church? Are we 
the called out ones? Are we the, the ones that are outside of our minds because of you? Do we live differently than the world around us because of your love and your grace? God, would you speak to our hearts in this moment? Father, would you allow us to ask hard questions? Father, would we pray on and meditate on your word of what the church is and what the Bible says about who we are? Father, would we wrestle? Would we work out our salvation with fear and trembling? Would we wrestle with what this means? God, because we want to know you. We want to know your grace. We want to know your mercy. We want to know your love, and we want to be transformed by it. And we want to see our friends and families transformed by it, and then their friends and family, and their friends and family. We want to see the whole world come to know who you are. God, forgive us for going to church and being a spectator. Father, would we pick up our identities that we are the church. And as we take communion this morning, would we think and remember and celebrate who you are and what you've done for us. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.